So, so before we get into the message, I just wanted to share something I observed when they were, they were doing the communion. They were putting it out, Jimmy and Sarah. Jimmy and Sarah Goss in here, they do, they do such a great job getting communion for us. Uh, can you just say thank you to them? It's a lot of work. <clears throat> but I looked over, I was in here before the service, and I looked over and they had like a food service, like gloves on, you know, so that they wouldn't get fingerprints on any of the, uh, any of the, of the, of the serving dishes. And, the, you know, like if you're OCD like me, that just gives you such a sense of peace in your heart, right? So that you're not alone in the world. But I did, as we were worshiping, I, I, I kept seeing that picture and I didn't know that it was because, if, was, it I, was I distracted or was God trying to teach me something? I, and I felt like I was trying to teach me something. It was this, is it, what if we were that careful with our hearts? Right? What if we brought that kind of intentionality and care to our faith and our devotion in Christ? Not because it's fragile, but just because it's easy for it to get marred by the things of this world. And that there should be some type of, 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 of intention, uh, some type of, uh, of, let's call it courage. It takes courage for us to say no to things sometimes that the world wants to offer us. But we know that if we take it in, it's, it's going to leave an imprint that's not supposed to be there. So, Father, for whoever is here tonight that might be struggling with maybe letting some things into their life that don't belong, for whoever that's for tonight that might be here tonight that, that, that needs to, to, to bring a, a greater sense of intentionality and, and, and attention to, to their own heart, to their own journey of faith, that, that maybe, Father, that, that, that they even need to take some steps tonight to walk away from some relationships, to set down some bad habits, to make some calls to ask for forgiveness, or maybe to not give up hope that somebody's going to call them and apologize Father, whatever we've let in that's left an imprint, a, a fingerprint, something that has, has marred us in, in some way, Father, that whoever that person is tonight, that you're going to do something in them that only you can do. Like when Jimmy grabbed that towel before the service and, and began to wipe that cover just in case anything was there. there there's, a, there's a cleansing, God, that can only come from your hand when we trust ourselves to you. So, Father, let it, let it be that we would put that part of who we are in your hand and you would make it clean in the only way that's possible in the hands of a sovereign God. Come on, in Christ's name, and everybody said... Amen. Well, we are, as, uh, as Pastor David uh, shared, getting ready to launch our life group. So again, I just want to encourage you at the end of the service, if you've got kids in childcare, go grab them, but then make your way to the cafe. Uh, people that are going to be leading the various life groups are going to be down there. They might have some literature that's out or maybe an example of the book that you might be reading together. But make sure that you're being intentional about picking one of those groups. So again, for a lot of the reasons that we already talked about in communion, there's going to be all different kinds of ways that you encounter Christ and we want to be a church that helps you to seek him out in every setting where he can be found. So tonight is, is the first of two welcome weekends. We do welcome weekends all throughout the year. Uh, welcome weekends are designed for people who might be visiting City Life. They might be new to City Life. And you're asking the question, is this the church that God's asking me to call home? And we know that's an important question. And you've heard me say this before, if you've been around City Life for any amount of time, that if we're not the church that you're looking for, don't, don't 
don't just wander away frustrated. Let us know. Give us a call. Talk to us at the end of the service and tell us what you feel like is the kind of church that God is leading you to. And we'll help you find that church here in Newport News or wherever you live. It's not about building City Life Church. It's about building the kingdom of God. And it's about people not living their lives another day as a spiritual orphan. So I'm going to be doing Welcome Weekend uh, uh, tonight. And then Steve Ruggiero is going to be doing Welcome Weekend next Saturday, which is going to be amazing. I'm going to be visiting the Williamsburg campus. And, uh, and so you're going to be in for a treat next weekend where he comes and, uh, and he shares. And then on the 17th and the 24th, we do what's called Discovering City Life. My wife, Vanessa, teaches that. It may, we make it easy for you. So you'll be in here for the, these two Welcome Weekends. And then if you're really thinking about City Life being the church that you're supposed to call home, then during the sermon portion of the service, that you'll just make your way down to the chapel. The nursery's already here if you've got kids. And then just during the sermon portion of the service, Vanessa will take you through two weeks of discovering City Life. And then I come in at the end uh, that last week and we eat some pizza together and some salad and, uh, and do some Q and A. So Father, as we just step into this message tonight, Father, as we so often pray, we want to get into your word, but more importantly, we want your word to get into us. And for every person here that's living their life as a spiritual orphan, I pray that you would awaken in them an appetite and a desire and a hunger and thirst for the community that you've created them to be a part. That you would help them see that something is missing in their life until they connect into that church family and that something's going to be missing in that church family that you want to place them in until they connect their life there. In Christ's name, amen. So if you've got your Bible, you can turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be working through verses 1 through 11. This teaching that we did for the first time a couple of years ago uh, is, is going to be a regular part of our rotation for our welcome weekends because it talks about five callings that we believe as a church that God has given to us. It's, it's five focuses. You can call it five values. Again, I like to call it five callings. These are five things that God is saying to City Life. Make sure that these things define you, and we work hard to make sure that they do. So let me just read the text, then I want to talk about it a little bit, and then we're going to start digging into these five Luke 5, verse 1, it says, One day Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. Stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, right, who would one day be Peter, we're going to see that in the story, its owner to push it out into the water. So he sat in the boat and he taught the crowds from there. Now when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Master Simon replied, we, we worked hard all night and didn't catch a thing, but if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. Now, I think he's doing that with a little bit of sarcasm. right? Because he's saying, I'm the fisherman, you're the religious teacher, we come to you to learn about God's word, but come on, you come to me to learn about fishing, Right? And, and here on the Sea of Galilee, we fish at night because we're out there when the fish are out there. They're not out there right now, right? And so he's, it looks like that he's, he's being obedient, but I think there's a little sarcasm if you know a little bit about who Peter is because we've learned about him through the rest of the story. I, I think there's, a, there's just a little bit of suspicion. He's, 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 he's obliging Christ. Now listen to what happens. At this time, their nets were so full that the fish began to tear their nets. 
a shout for help brought their partners in other boats. And, and soon both boats were filled with so much fish, they were on the verge of sinking. Now, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. That word for sinner in the Greek is hamartolos. It's a, originally an archery term. It means to miss the mark. Peter's saying, I've lived my life so poorly. I'm a person that you could say I'm always missing the mark. And he realized he was in the presence of someone supernatural. And he says, I, you're too holy to be around someone like me. For he was awestruck by the number of fish that they had caught, as were the others with him, his partners James and John, who would eventually become two of the twelve disciples, the sons of Zebedee, were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon, don't be afraid, from now on you'll be fishing for people. Now this is an interesting text because there's lots of different kinds of, 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 of uh, uh, chronol chronological context, right? There's the verse in the chapter. You've heard people say that before. You're taking that out of context, right? And, and then the, 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 the idea is that you've got to read the verse in context of the chapter and then the chapter in the context of the book. Who's writing the letter? Who's the intended audience? What's their ethnicity? What are their cultural norms? There's all these types of context that are important important. In chronological context, context is understanding when it happened in the life and ministry of Jesus. It's one of the most forgotten forms of context. Now, it's interesting for this text because many scholars put this in the chronology of the same place where Mark puts it or where Matthew put it. And they put it right after the baptism of Jesus, right? They, they connect this to the, the initial calling of the disciples. But when you study Luke's narrative, you begin to realize that Luke has put this several months where he's dropped it in his story. Now Luke, is he's a doctor, but from reading his gospel and then also the book of Acts, we also know that he's a very skilled historian. So there's no way that Luke is just giving up on where it's supposed to belong. So I am of the camp, as some others are, that this is actually a second time that Jesus is coming to these disciples and inviting them to follow him. Now what that means is originally the, the disciples were like interns with Jesus, like Praxis 9 that's getting ready to start. Come on, right? They're going to be with us working hard for nine months and then they're going to go back to a different flow of life. Many people believe that was the early work of the disciples. They were with him, they traveled some with him and then they would go back home to their families and to their vocations and work some. And I believe that Luke 5 is placed exactly where it happened in time in his narrative and that, that the disciples here, it's a turning point for them. It's the place where they stop being this, this kind of intermittent relationship with Jesus as far as their ministry and it's the place where they leave everything else behind and begin to follow him. We're going to look at in this text that there's some play on words where Peter calls him master and then later he calls him Lord and what that means for us. I like too how in verse 3, let's look at that together. It says this. It says, stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asks Simon to push out into the water. You ever notice that he does not ask Simon's permission to get on the boat? Right? Any, any Navy people here, right? Any boat people here, right? There's, 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 there's protocol, right? There's this idea of 
permission to come aboard, right? Jesus doesn't ask for Simon's permission to come aboard. He just, he just gets into the boat. And I like that. Because I think sometimes we, we, we get this idea of Jesus that, that, that he's seeking our permission to do things in our lives. He is the sovereign with the Father. And he has a divine right to step into the boat of our existence anytime he wants. But what's fascinating about this story is that even though he steps into the boat without asking for permission, he then asks permission for Peter to do what he wants. You see, and I like that about Jesus because there's times where he shows up without us asking because we need him to. And then there's times where even though he's not required to ask permission, he engages with us as if we have a choice because he respects who we are. And you might be here tonight and you're at this place where you need Jesus to get into your boat even though you might be trying to push him out. And you need him to be present in your life. You need him to be present in your circumstance. You need him to be present in your workplace and in your marriage and in your, in your parenting. And, and if that's you and you're resisting him, then I would say let him come aboard because he's got some things that he wants to do in your life that nobody else can do. And, and, and if he's already on board of your life, what my encouragement to you is, do, don't forget that even though it feels like he may be giving you a choice, that he's ultimately the sovereign of your life and carries with him an authority that we need to honor and respect at all times. All right, so let's do the first calling. The first one, is, say some, somebody say, we have a work calling. We have a work calling. Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, verse two says he noticed that two empty boats on the water's edge, for the fishermen had left them and were washing their net. So how many here, we like a little participation at City Life, how many of you have ever been on a cruise? Anybody ever been on a cruise? Right? Scotty, what was your job on the cruise ship? What work did they give you when you, when you got aboard? Eat all the food. He could, right? Yeah. Somebody else. Did you get a job assigned to you when you got on the cruise ship? Clem, did they give you a job? What did they give they, oh, they gave you a life preserver? Yeah. Make it line up? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, anybody else? Get a, you were assigned, you got a paycheck, you had to punch a time clock. Anybody get, have to do that on the cruise ship? Jonathan's in the Navy, so every time he gets on a ship, he's punching, all right? Yeah, yeah. Now, right, that's not a part of the cruise experience. Right? Yeah. Now, if you worked for the, the cruise, right? But the idea of going on a cruise is that you're not there to work for them. They're there to work for you. Right? There's this little thing called room service. You pick up the phone and they come and, and you, you, you might be uh, showing up for some activity and, or, or maybe who are the spa people? Are there any spa people in here? Right? Come on. Do I have any men spa people in here? Yeah, come on. I've done spas with my wife. I'm just telling you. Get over yourself, men. Yeah? All right. Took my daughter for a pedicure one time. I was like, I'll take one of those. Yeah, come on. You don't go on vacation so you can work. You, you go on vacation to get away from work and so that people can wait on you. If you're the person that cooks in your home, you like to go out to dinner because you sit down. Somebody else cooks the food. Somebody else washes the dishes. 
April was talking with some people before the service about how to cook bacon, and she turned to me and she said, Pastor Fred, what's your favorite way to cook bacon? I said, I cook bacon the same way all the time. When Vanessa says, breakfast is ready, I come. Yeah, that's how I cook bacon. If, 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 if you do certain jobs at your house, there's just this, there's this, there's this feeling of, of other people doing that for you sometimes. I like that Jesus gets on a fishing boat, and I think he did it on purpose because he knew that people were going to adopt a mindset and a mentality that church is a pleasure cruise. And it is not a cruise ship. It is a working vessel. It's a fishing boat where we, together, we toil. There's work to be done. Now, are there times when we're broken and wounded and and it needs to be a, a place where we're along for the ride for people to care for us? Absolutely. But come on, part of God wanting to do a healing work in your life is to get you back into the labor force of becoming a fisher of men. Were there other kind of boats at the Sea of Galilee? Yeah. They had tours back then. There were boats out there that people that were traveling or maybe were from out of town, they would come and they would get on these boats and they would take tours, but he didn't go over to Bob's boat and say, Bob, we're going to change the world together. Tours for Yahweh. (laughs) Were there cruise ships where people just went out to have fun? Yeah, there were wealthy people that had boats in the first century, and, and, and one of the ways that they would have fun together is this, they would just go out on these boats, and they would enjoy the day on the water, but he didn't go over to Art and say, Art, we're going to change the world together, cruising for Christ. He didn't, no. He went to a fishing boat. These men had been working all night long. They were dirty. They were tired. They were irritated because they had not caught anything. This was their livelihood. This is how they would eat. This is how they would pay their bills. And that's the kind of boat that Jesus gets into. And when we look at that, we see a calling that God has for the City Life Church. This is a working vessel that we are a church that comes together to labor with one another, to ask ourselves what's the gifting and the ability and the energy that I have that I can put that to work with the people around me so that we can become fishers of men with one another. City life is a working boat, not a cruise ship. Pathways like serving and gathering and reaching and generosity and praying and relationship. You might be new to the church and there's a a time and a season where you're along for the ride and discovering city life is about to happen for you so you can figure out how to get on board with the work that God has called you to do here to labor for our city. Somebody say we have a hope calling. We have a hope calling as a church Listen to verse 5. Master Simon replied, we've worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets again. A favorite verse of City Life is Psalm 27, 13. If I would have lost heart if I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Ephesians 3.20 talks about how God will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. Listen to Hebrews 6, the second part of verse 18 through 19. It says, therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. 
This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. It leads us through the curtain into God's inner sanctuary. Now we could do a whole sermon on that verse alone, but part of what that verse is about is that there is a hope that we have because of the goodness of God, that he keeps his promises to us. Every promise in this book that he makes to you and to me is yes and amen, regardless of what our circumstances might look like. We have a hope calling. Part of our purpose as a church is to to come along beside people who feel like Peter. They've been toiling and laboring all night. And, and, and maybe it's not just all night. Maybe it's been months or maybe it's been years. And maybe they're not out because they've been fishing. Maybe they've been working on their marriage for years and it's failing. Maybe they've been working with a, a, a child and there's a, an estranged relationship for years. And you're like Peter. And you're saying, Jesus, I, I know that you're telling me to do something but I, what I'm telling you is I'm tired. And this text is to remind us that we are not to give up because sometimes we give up right before we are going to have our biggest breakthrough. Can you imagine if Simon Peter had said to Jesus, I just, I don't have it in me today. And he gets out of the boat and then the rest of the people go out and there he is standing on the shore and he sees this amazing thing happen. Like something inside of him I think would have been, I could have been on the boat and a part of the story Stay on the boat with Jesus and do whatever he's telling you to do, no matter how tired you are, because there is a breakthrough that's coming for you. We have a hope calling here at the City Life Church to tell you, come on, that we too would have lost heart if we had not believed that we would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Jerry Whistler, a new family, and has been coming to the church, shot me a... Uh, Facebook message the other day, and, and, and it was a link to this amazing story of, Dan, of Heather Mercer and Dana Curry. These were the two uh, Christian women who were taken captive by the Taliban in 2001, uh, just, I want to say it was days, if not weeks, before the, uh, b- before the tragedy of 9-11. And the next thing you know, they were, they were caught up as, as hostages. And, and uh, it's, a pow- it's a powerful interview with, with Heather Mercer. And, uh, and I, I so appreciated her authenticity. Because she said there were moments when I was in this Taliban prison and isolated and being interrogated for 10 hours a time some, some days. And, and I came here for God and I, and I felt like he, he's abandoned me. She, she was honest about her doubts. She was honest about, did, 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 I, did I not hear from God? Has he forsaken me? And I think sometimes it's hard for us to connect with those emotions. Maybe you might be here today and you're saying, well, I'm not sure I would ever doubt God that way. And what I would say to you is then go spend a few months in a prison in Afghanistan and then you come back and tell me whether or not you would wrestle with those doubts. But she never gave up. She never gave up. And there's this amazing story of a breakthrough that was her rescue that restored her sense of hope in her God. It is a powerful, real-life story. It's like that story is just pouring out of this text in Luke chapter 5. And I don't know if you more relate to Luke or whether you more relate to to Peter or whether you more relate to Heather Mercer or, or whatever person that you relate to in whatever story. I'm telling you, it's all going to have the same outcome because it's all the same God. And he is a person that comes through. Never give up your hope 
regardless of your circumstance. Ecclesiastes 3.11 says that everything is beautiful in its own time. I don't know about you, but I don't like that verse in the Bible. Do you have any verses in the Bible that you don't like? Yeah. Like, I don't like that verse. Why is that? Because the verses above it talk about all the different kinds of seasons. I like half of that list. I'm not a big fan of the other half. Right? And, and, and most of us read that as if to say, right, that, that I'm gonna, I've got to put my time in here just so I get the privilege to be over here. But then you get to verse 11 and it says, no, 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 no. Everything is beautiful in its own time. And then you begin to realize that God gets just as excited about this part of the list as he does that part of the list. Because there are things that he does inside of us that the feeling of desperation can only bring about. In fact, I would suggest to you today that we don't even know how to enjoy this side of the list until we've walked through this side of the list. There is a character that is formed in us over here so that we can be good stewards when we're over here. There, there, is, there is deliverance sometimes that happens to us over here so that we can more fully walk through the list over here. We have a hope calling at the City Life Church. It's a place where people are going to be inspired to hope again. Some of you might be in here and you're listening to me right now or maybe you're listening to the podcast at home and you're saying, I'm not sure I'm ever going to hope again. And then what I would say to you is find a church that's faith-filled and unrelenting in their belief in the goodness of God and you lean heavy into those people and I am telling you, there will be your day of redemption where hope will be restored to your heart. We have an usher calling. Somebody say, we have an usher calling. An usher calling. Verse 8 says, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell on his knees before Jesus and said, O Lord, please leave me, for I'm too much of a sinner. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. I want to jump over to John chapter 3. John chapter 3, verse 26 to 30. It says, so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, we're moving back in time here. Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan River, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. It sounds like a conversation in some churches' boardrooms, doesn't it? John replied, no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourselves know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. This is John the Baptist talking about Jesus. He must become greater, and I must become less and less. Verse 30, he must become greater, and I must become less and less. We have a, an usher calling here at the City Life Church. This, this idea is that everything that we're doing together on our weekend services is about creating an opportunity for you to be awakened to the abiding presence of God in this place. 
Every person that's doing everything from leading worship to changing diapers to delivering a message or doing announcements, right? You add it all up, the people that are setting up and tearing down. We're we're doing it because we recognize that we have a John the Baptist usher calling. We're here to serve the moment so that you can find an encounter with the creator of the universe, And sometimes your encounter is going to look just like Peter's, where you begin to realize how desperate you are for him, how perfect he is, how imperfect you are, and it's going to cause you to want to fall to your knees and say, God, I can't even stand to be in your presence when I think about the debauchery of my life, and Jesus is going to do for you what he did for Peter, and he's going to pick you up, and he's going to begin to take you on a journey how you can become a new person. That's why we do what we do. We're not waiting for God to show up ever in our services. He's waiting for us. We're not ever waiting for him to show up. He's always here. He's waiting for you. He's waiting for me to show up. Not just show up in in a physical presence, but to show up with surrender in our heart. To have the kind of heart that says, Jesus I want you to step into my boat whenever you want and speak to me however you want to speak to me and change in me whatever needs to be changed because I too am a sinner just like Peter and I deserve nothing of your grace and your love overwhelms me. We want to be a church that helps people have that kind of encounter with the Savior of the world that's personal, that sometimes, yes, is messy, that yes, sometimes it looks like an ugly cry at the altar. Come on. And that's just for the guys. I'm telling you that there's an encounter that you can have with Jesus that's more real than anything that you've ever experienced in your life. And I had a, somebody that's been coming for a couple of years that came up to me not too long ago and said, Hey, Pastor Fred, I, I went to the altar for prayer after the service for the first time. They were, it was, it's a guy, and he just had a huge smile on his face. And he said, I, I wasn't even sure why I was going up there. I just knew that I never had. And as soon as I got there, I just couldn't stop sobbing. It's like, come on, that's what we're about. <laughs> Jesus wants to meet you here just like that. Just like that. He wants, he, he wants you to have an encounter with him. He doesn't want to be some doctrine he doesn't, he doesn't want to be, be some belief system. He, he, he doesn't want to be some, some religious right. Is he all of those things? Absolutely, yes, and more. But, but at the end of the day, he wants to be your savior. And that's something that's deeply, deeply personal. Heather Mercer tells in her story when she was in this, in this prison that there was a part of the story is this Afghan man who, who decided to help them, risked his life. Some of his family were murdered because they found out after the fact. But there's a moment where they took them to a, another prison and he actually began to follow the Taliban because he knew that the, the, the U.S. government would not be able to track them. And so he, he tracked the Taliban on their behalf and, and they gave him a satellite satellite phone and there's a moment where he walks in to, to, to this red cross where, where they had now been released but now they were trapped behind enemy lines and he walks into this room and gives them the satellite phone and then just, just walks away. Right? And, 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 and she tells this story about how this, this man, he risked everything for them. Jesus has risked everything for you. 
He, he gave his life for you. And he wants you to know him in a deeply personal way. We have an usher calling here at the City Life Church. Oh, come on, this one's personal for us. Somebody say, we have a fleet calling. We have a fleet calling. F-L-E-E-T, a fleet calling. Shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. We believe as a church that the work in the 757 is so great, we're never going to be able to do it by ourselves. doesn't matter how big City Life Church becomes. It doesn't matter how effective in ministry. It doesn't matter how, ministries are, or how many ministries are born. It doesn't matter what kind of budgets that are at our disposal through the generosity of people that call City Life their home. It doesn't matter what kind of missions budget that's birthed through faith promise. You, you, all of that, right? We could, we could get everything, right? It could be in Ephesians 3.20, exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ever ask or imagine. I'm here to tell you we will just even still scratch the surface of the needs in our city. We have a fleet calling. I believe that God's given City Life and all of its leaders, and those of you that call this their church home, you've heard us talk about this before, that we must work with other churches and other ministries, maybe even churches and ministries. We don't necessarily even agree about everything that they believe, but there's enough common ground for us to come together. And if churches and ministries throughout the 757 can begin to do that, then I'm telling you, we could begin to see the kind of harvest of biblical proportion that we read about about in Luke chapter 5, because it's not just supposed to be fish. Churches should be filled to overflowing and literally sinking in people. That's our calling, and that's our vision. Listen to Luke chapter 9, verse 57. This is later on in Jesus' ministry, and people are, he's gaining some popularity, and so now people are drawn to him because of his popularity. Verse 57, it says, as they were walking along, someone said to Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens to live in and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place even to lay his head. I like that verse because as a church, we're a fox that has no den and a bird that does not have a nest. All right? Because we rent space from other churches. Now, in our 10-year history, if we'd have had a different plan and a different vision and budgeted in a different way, could we have a building? I think we could. Absolutely, we could have. But that's not the calling that God has for us. He's asking us to model something. We talked last week about why we moved to Saturday night to create this day of rest for people, and we did that in 2008. But what we did not realize at the time, we did not realize that God was actually giving birth to another vision in us that we didn't even know that we were supposed to carry, but now we champion, and that's that we are supposed to be on Saturday nights also so that we can be in worship spaces when they're normally empty so that we can actually begin to create real partnerships with other churches and other ministries throughout this region. You can clap for that. Come on. 
I, I like how Jesus says, I, you know, I'm like a fox without a den and a bird without a nest. Because he knows that people are coming to him because he seems a little bit glamorous. And he's saying to them, hey, there's nothing glamorous about what I'm doing. You're, there's not going to be any spillover glamour and prestige into your life because you're with me. That's not what I'm about. That's not what we're about. The City Life Church is not about glamour. It's not about prestige. And sometimes it, it looks as though that, that this model that we have, it, it maybe appears as if we do this out of financial need. And we can't be responsible for the perceptions that other people have of the City Life Church. But can we just say we don't care about that? What we care about is being obedient to the Jesus that's in our boat and doing what he's asked us to do. And so we're not in it for our own prestige and for our own, own, own glory. We're in it for the glory of the one who saved us. And we believe that throughout our futures, we continue to plant campuses that we're going to keep planting in Saturday nights and form partnerships with other churches and other ministries. We're in a Lutheran church for now in Suffolk. We're in a Baptist church here. We're in a Methodist church for now in Williamsburg. And I think that's absolutely grand. We're this charismatic Pentecostal in its theology church in the midst of all these other worship expressions that are so very different from us. But you know what? It's awesome. And it should say something to the community that maybe hasn't been said to the community for a long time. Is that we have more in common than we have apart. Let's work together. Because until we learn how to work together, we're never going to experience the miraculous catch that I think we all believe could one day come. City Life is a place that celebrates, not tolerates, but celebrates ministries and partnerships. Will we ever own buildings? I think we will. I think we will. But we will never own buildings for the purpose of being by ourselves. If we ever own buildings, if we ever own facilities, it will be for the purpose of being able to go out to other churches and other ministries and say, there's lots of room here. You come and join us in what we're doing. We're going to be on Saturday night, and that's going to create a beautiful spot for someone to come in on a Sunday morning, maybe a Sunday afternoon. Our, our, our philosophy is there aren't enough people in ministries in the church until we're in each other's way. That's what we want to experience. We want to experience this idea of where we're bumping into each other and the most frustrated person in the building is the person that manages the calendar. That's our goal. That's our goal. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up as we talk about this last calling. We have an eternity calling. We have an eternity calling. See, in verse 5, Peter calls Jesus master calls him master. And in the Greek, that's the word epistates, and it means authority. It means the Christ. And it's the moment, and if we were to travel back in time, right, the Jewish people are waiting for the Messiah to come. And this is the moment where, where Peter and the others, where they call him master, they're saying, we believe that you are the Messiah. It's a powerful declaration that they make in that moment. We, we see it happen for the first time in John chapter 1, 35 to 42. Peter calls him master, epistates. But as you read this narrative by Luke, when you get to verse 8, he doesn't call him master anymore. He calls him Lord. 
is the first time in the Gospel of Luke, you can read it from chapter 1 all the way to here to 5.8. There is not one instance where any person calls Jesus Lord. It's the first time. There are references to God being Lord, right? There's, 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 there's the use of the word Lord, but not ever once is it a person saying this about Jesus until right here. Lord is the Greek word kurios, and it means that that person has the power to control and direct, but even more importantly, it means that it is the one to whom someone belongs. You see, there's a big difference between saying, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah and the Savior of the world. A lot of people say that. It's something else to call him Lord. It's something else to feel as though I belong to him. It's something else for us to say, he owns me. And walking in that place of being subservient to him is the greatest joy that I will ever find in this life. Peter goes from master to Lord. We have an eternity calling here at the City Life Church that we want people that maybe they don't understand who Jesus is, that he's the great epistates, he's the great master of the universe. We want them to discover who he is and that their journey is going to go from master to Lord, that they're going to come to a place of bended knee just like it was for Peter in the boat where he realized he's not just the Messiah, he's my Messiah. And that my life needs to belong to him in every way. And you might be here tonight and you would say, you know what, Fred? When I look back into the story of my life, I can see that for most of my life, I've been a believer. Meaning that maybe your journey was like mine and you've grown up in the church. Maybe your, your journey was like mine in the sense that you've been in Sunday school and church services and youth camps and retreats and getaways. And, and, and it's never been about whether or not you believe the right things. But for you, it's like what it was for Peter, like what it was for me when, when, when I was 23 years old. It wasn't about whether or not you believe the right things. It was about whether or not you were ready to surrender the right things. There is a place of believing, and then there is a place where your heart gives way to Christ. Earl Palmer, the former uh, pastor at University Presbyterian Church, has been one of the favorite people that I've listened to over the years. He has this saying that I love. He, he talks about putting the full weight of your life on Jesus. You see, Peter went from master to putting the full weight of his life on on Christ in that moment, that day. And I hope that if you're here tonight, that as we step into this last moment of worship together, if you can't look back into the story of your life and find a moment where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, when I come back up to close the service, we're going to create an opportunity for you to do that tonight. It might be that you're excited to be here because it's a welcome weekend and you've learned a little bit about who we are as a church and some things we believe and what we're about. But it might be that maybe for you that, that you thought you were coming 
to learn about the church, but really you were coming to learn about yourself and that something's missing in you. You believe the right things, but can you call him Lord? Stand with me. Father, I pray for this, the sacredness of this moment that we're gonna step into together as we worship this song, with this song. And I know that there's gonna be some people in here just, just like me, just like me. When I was 23 years old, there, there, there wasn't much I didn't already know and believe. But there wasn't a whole lot of surrender in me. And even if it's just one person that's here tonight, Father, I pray that their heart would just begin to melt like wax in the presence of you, their living God. And they would literally feel the tangible presence of Jesus standing in front of them. And it would be just like it was with Peter. There's this feeling where we want to withdraw because of our shame. But in that moment, Jesus, I pray that they would feel your hands wrapped around their shoulders, drawing you closer ever still. In Christ's name, come on, let's worship together.